Good? A couple of you are good? Good to see you. It's not as frigid as it was during first service. It's warming up a little bit. Inside and out, apparently. I don't know. We'll see. Hey, um, we are in Matthew chapter 1 today. If you turn there in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 1. We started last week uh, a series called Adore Him. It's our Christmas series for the month of December, and we will end it on Christmas Day here worshiping and celebrating together at 1030. Uh, last week we talked about adoring him, Jesus that is, right, as the dawning light uh, that, pro- that was prophesied by Isaiah, that he would be the light that shines light into the darkness, and in this dark world that uh, there is no light other than Jesus that can fix and resolve the problems that we have. So we, we learned that unto us a child was born, and unto us a son is, was given, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's what we learned last week. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at the story of Mary and Joseph. And, uh, and, and because the series is called Adore Him, uh, we're not going to dive deep, deep into the history of, of who they are and where they came from. We'll look at that a little bit. But really, we're adoring Jesus through his parents' story. And, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're, we're, we're who we are today due to our parents' story, Right? The history of our parents and where they came from. And, and I think there are times in my life and maybe in yours too where you, you were a teenager and said, I, don't, I hope I don't grow up to be like my parents. I hope I don't do that like my parents. And today, we're like just like our parents, aren't we? Right? Our, our parents' story has a lot to say about who we are. Um, with Mary and Joseph, uh, they were poor, right? They were maybe from the wrong side of the tracks in Galilee. Uh, we had Mary, a junior high girl who gets pregnant. Okay, this is the story we're left with. And, and Jesus was this poor, suffering servant who, who was born unto us, for us, and was a servant of us. So uh, we're going to see some parallels today in that. Uh, we are going to adore Jesus uh, through his parents' story, okay? Can we pray and we'll get to work? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for this time that you've given to us to gather, uh, to worship you, to celebrate who you are, to give uh, ourselves uh, God, as we're present today to, to hear from your word, we ask that your spirit would convince us of truth and convict us of sin, that we would become more devoted followers of Christ, being conformed in the image of the Son day by day. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you that we get to worship and adore you, the risen King, and we pray in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start in verse 1 in just a moment. Um, you'll see in your notes on the outline the, the four points of today's message. But we are looking at adoring Jesus uh, as we look at the story of Mary and Joseph. And the first thing, number one, is this. Their story tells us that we, who are people that can be excluded, can actually be included, right? So the people that are excluded can be included in this story. Um, it's not just for the, the fancy and for the rich and the famous it's for anybody. And uh, so looking at Matthew 1, let's, we're going to go through Matthew 1, 1 through 6, and then we'll jump down to, to verse 16. Uh, I'm not opposed to reading this whole section of names. Uh, just for time's sake, we'll, we'll skip that. You can go home and read it later as well. Uh, verse 1. The historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadad, Aminadad fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. 
Now jump down to verse 16. It says, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. People who are excluded can be included. You know, the purpose of a resume, when you write a resume, it's to, to brag about yourself, isn't it? It's to show off your status and your, your uh, objectives that have been accomplished, maybe some extracurricular activities or awards that you've received. Um, it's, it's about your abilities and your status and your experience. It's about your commitment level when you write a resume. It's, it, you want to show it off. Um, people didn't have resumes in this day. They had genealogies. They had lineage. It's, they said, in essence, they said, this is who I am. Uh, your credentials were tied to your genealogy. It was saying, this is who I am. I want to show off my roots. And just like resumes can be kind of like a silver lining, and you, you, take, you, know, you leave off things you don't want to have on there, people in these days would also leave off people of shady character in their genealogy. They want to skip over maybe that side of the family. You know what I'm talking about? We have that side. Of, a lot of us have that side of the family. So genealogies, when you, when you hand that genealogy to someone, you're like, oh, wow, you're someone of status. Oh, I know that name. Oh, I know that person. And it was, it was good, right? Now, through Scripture, we're told the Messiah would be a son of Abraham, right, of the line of David. So we see those names both in this lineage, so that's important to see. But I think Matthew, as he wrote this, did the opposite of what most people would have expected him to do when he wrote this. He didn't leave out the people of shady character. He included them. He made sure to state that they were there. Um, so he's, he's kind of flipping it upside down of what, what's the norm. Uh, he, he does not, um, not only does he include people who are shady and maybe have made a mess of their lives, he includes, and this time was a big deal, he includes women. Not just one, five women that are in this uh, story here, in this lineage. Now, I, I preached on these women uh, on Mother's Day this year, so if you'd like to know more about that, you can go back to that sermon archive online and listen to it. I'm not going to go into depth about these women, but I, I do want to kind of focus in on, on one of them, okay? So the, from this list, we see moral outsiders and we see unclean people groups. We see people that are kind of shady morally. Uh, and Matthew is asking us to recall this tragic history of Israel that is included here. And, and there's a reason for this. I want you to look at King David. Uh, go down to verse 6. It says, Jesse fathered King David. King David. Matthew includes King David, right? We know who that guy is. That's good stuff. He's a king. He's David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's a very successful leader, a very successful military leader. Uh, he, he's a man's man. He's a dude that's, that should be on a list like this. But look how he describes him in the next part of verse 6. Just says, And Jesse fathered King David. Then David, now he didn't say King David this time. He just said David. Then David fathered Solomon by, who was the woman? Bathsheba. Does he name her? He doesn't, because you know, and here's why. This was not a slight to Bathsheba. This was a slam to King David. And I want you to see how. If, if, if I gave you a list and said, well, yeah, Solomon was born of Bathsheba and David. Okay, some of you may recall the story. But what, what is Matthew doing? He's telling it to you. What does it say? It says, and then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. See, Matthew's not pulling any punches here in this genealogy. He's not trying to pretend that, oh, we're the house and line of David. That's all great. Yeah, that is great. That's what Jesus promised. That's what the Lord promised and prophesied. However, David was a shady character too. It was out of this dysfunctional family that the Messiah came. 
See, it's, it's not the, the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. Amen for that? It's not just the good people that are in and the bad people that are out. Each of us are only in by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Our only standing is in Christ and what he has done for us. You not making the book or the cut has nothing to do with your efforts. It has everything to do with the efforts of Jesus Christ. We're only in the book by the mercy and grace of Jesus. And, and Matthew exposes that lineage. He didn't say, look at all these people who on their own merit were excellent, excellent people. Here, here's something that Tim Keller writes. I want to read his quote. He says this, In Christ Jesus, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals. Equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved, the grace of God is so pervasive that even the lineage of Christ, just what we read, the lineage of Christ is dripping with God's mercy. You see, it, it shows, shows God's mercy off when we have a, have a lineage that includes these rough and shady characters. And you and I are rough and shady characters as well. You see, the truth about the Christmas story is that, and the story of Mary and Joseph even, the birth of Christ, the lineage, people who are excluded can be included because of Jesus. And the truth is that all of us are excluded on our own merit, and only by grace can we enter. And then you have Mary and Joseph, and I mentioned this. You have Mary and Joseph, a junior high girl who's pregnant, and Joseph uh, is from Nazareth. Uh, he's from the wrong side of the tracks, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth, people say? These aren't the people you'd expect to, to birth the Messiah, right? They, they, they had to travel as poor people to, to Bethlehem to, for the census, and when they got there, he was born not in a fancy room or hotel, right? He was born in a manger a feeding trough for animals. You wouldn't expect that, but those who are excluded can be included. And, and I'm, I'm not here, I don't want to give you this big pep talk and say, you're strong enough, you're good enough, you can do it. You can be included, just keep trying harder. That's not the truth of the scripture. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth is that you're not good enough and I'm not good enough. You know, there, I'm going to take this time for just a second. There are a lot of Self-help books out there, and you go to Barnes and Noble, or you go on Amazon, you you go into a store, and you go to the self-help area, and you want to learn how to be a better better you. You know, it's a bunch of pep talks. These books, and I, I'm not saying some of this can't be helpful, but for you and I to solely go to a place that's a that's a pep talk for us, we're, what we're doing is we're wanting to hear things that will boost our ego, and boost and boost our self-esteem and self-worth, and I'm all for self-value in Christ, but that's what, not what most of these books promote. Most self-help books promote ego and pride, and pride is sin. You see, the truth of self-worth is this. You and I have no value outside of the value that has been given to us by God and through Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That's where we're valuable, and the hope that we have is in that and the value he's placed on us, not our own accomplishments, not our own mental capacity, not our own ability to deal with situations, not our own ability to, to, to be in depression or out of depression. Self-help is called pride. It's, it's selfishness. The help we need is not from self. The help we need is only from God. 
And that's why shady characters who are excluded can be included. Number two, something else we learn about Jesus in, in his parents' story is that God works on his schedule and not ours. I love the fact that there are so many young families that are attending our church and being a part of it. Uh, I love the fact that your kids make noise. I love, listen, I, I understand, parents, listen, I understand that this morning might have been rough. I understand that this morning you, you contemplated not coming to church because of your kids. You're like, God, why can't you just make them behave for the hour before church and the hour during church and the hour after church and then we'll go home and be good? This is not about your schedule, guys. This is about God's schedule. We're just going to be faithful and be faithful and be faithful. So parents, I applaud you that you're here with your kids. You're sitting down with your kids. They're here. I don't care if they're misbehaving or whatever. You'll deal with what you need to deal with. But you are faithful to be here and be part of the body. And that's what God is looking for, faithfulness. Not not our own schedule of when it's going to be best for us. God looks for faithfulness. I I just wanted to interject that today. Let's look at verse 17. We're continuing on in Matthew chapter 1. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon uh, until the Messiah, 14 generations. The Lord took a little while to fulfill his promise. Generations and generations and years and years went by. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed by his descendants. We have the promise there. And before Abraham even, and Jesus is, is said to be a son of Abraham. Before Abraham, we see in Genesis 3, we see the fall of mankind, the sin that happened in the garden. And what, and what we see is, is God comes up and promises through the seed of the woman that, that her, through her seed, the Messiah would crush Satan. We see the promise in Genesis 3. So from Genesis 3 until Matthew chapter 1, until the Gospels come on scene, until Jesus is born. We have this huge time period. And, and, and there's probably countless thousands of people who would ask that question sometimes, God, are you going to do this yet? God, what's, what's happening? What's going on? Are we, are we going to get there at some point? The promised Messiah was a long time in coming. And, and then there was this, the, the years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Right In your Old Testament and, and New, you have, you have nearly 500 years of silence. 500 years. That's longer than our country's been in, been in existence. Right? I mean, this is, this is a long time. That God's people who were, who were trusting him and, and knew the promise would come one day didn't have a word from a prophet about it again and hadn't seen Jesus. The star hadn't appeared yet. So for, for nearly 500 years, like, is this really going to happen my parents, 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 parents said it was. But man, I, I don't know. I'm kind of, you know. Sometimes we look at our calendar and think that's all that matters. But listen, God had not forgotten humanity. It was just on his calendar and not ours. Here's a, here's a truth. You can write this down in your notes. You and I cannot judge God by our calendar. You and I cannot judge God by our calendar. God's grace rarely Rarely operates. I almost said never, but I, I know there's sometimes it fits. Rarely operates on our timetable or on our schedule. He is just looking for us to trust and obey, to be faithful, and let him take care of the results. I, I want to tell you part of my story. Um, 
I was a young man when I moved down here at 18 years old or 17 when I moved, and uh, just 18 very, very shortly after that. And I loved God, and I loved being involved in his people's lives and in the body, and I loved serving people. Um, but I, there was part of me I hadn't surrendered to God yet, and it was my, my pursuit of companionship. Right? I wanted to have a girlfriend. I wanted to have a spouse. I mean, I was young, but I wanted to have that. And, and I went through these phases of, of loving and serving someone, and, and maybe that wouldn't serve back or wouldn't, you know, but I still wanted to love and serve and wanted to have that companionship. And, and ultimately, it came, came down to a point where uh, one of my buddies and I, we had, and several other accountability partners in the church, thank you very much, by the way, said, what are you doing? You've, you've got to let this go. You see, I, I trusted God. I loved God. I wanted what God had for me. But it was, it was controlling me. And I, I constantly tried to match up my calendar with God's calendar. And, and more, moreover, I tried to push my calendar onto God's desk every day. Say, God, here's what we're doing today. Here's what needs to happen. And when I finally said, I'm done with that. I'm done trying to find the perfect person for me, the person, perfect companion for me. When I finally said, God, <clears throat> I'm taking my calendar off your desk. Do whatever you want. I'm going to find my satisfaction in you alone. Then, now here, here's where the story turns. What you thought right now, I was going to say was, then God brought me my wife. Right? Because that's the greatest story ever. And that's how it should work. Okay, maybe a little bit, but let's back up. When I finally surrendered that part of my life to God, when I finally said, God, I find all of my satisfaction in you, what he gave me then was freedom. Freedom just to rely on him. Freedom from having to produce my own results. Did God bring me a wife? Absolutely he did. God brought me someone I, I couldn't even fathom or imagine in my wildest dreams and on my wildest list and on that calendar I put on his desk. God brought me a spouse who was just for me. It was my gift, from, or his gift to me from him. right? And God in his time did that. But letting him work in his time was so freeing to me. I didn't have to push it anymore. Now that's just a marriage story, right? That's companionship. For some of you young people who are teenagers in, in high school and waiting for the one or wanting to, to get a relationship with someone or needing, maybe you're like me, you're like, I, I just need someone to be in a relationship with all the time. No, you don't. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ every day. And, and in him, we must be most satisfied before anything else can come. The blessings and the gifts he wants to give us. For some of you who who are who surrendered that and prayed like me and said, God, I'm giving you, I'm giving you rain. You can do whatever you want with my companionship. And the and then part still hasn't happened 30 years later. That's okay. This is God's calendar, it's God's plan, it's God's time. We are called to be faithful and trust him and obey, is what he wants us to do. To trust him and obey. God works on his schedule, not on ours. And listen, with God. There is no second best with God. There's no second best. There's something he wants to accomplish for his glory. And Christmas shows us that God is working out his purposes. God is, God is working out and fulfilling his promises. And that we can trust him with the results. Amen? Christmas says God is working out his promises on his schedule. So he will get the glory. You and I don't have the glory there. We, we are most satisfied in him, in his schedule. Number three, from their story, we can learn that he, Jesus, makes us brave. Or he makes us courageous. Let's uh, look at verses 18 through 21 together. 
It says, the birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant. And if you stop there, there's a little shock value, isn't there? Like, oh, we know where this story's going. Let's keep reading. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, again, not knowing about the Holy Spirit thing yet, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. God makes us brave. Christ makes us brave. Our stories, our lives can be full of shame. Consider the angel's announcement. I want you to think about this. Mary is pregnant, right? This junior high girl, maybe early high school age girl is pregnant. Uh, Joseph, Joseph knows he's not the father. Okay, he knows. So he's got this dilemma. What's, what's going on? She must have been unfaithful to me. And, and he wants to break off the engagement. And, uh, and the angel comes and says, don't be afraid. There's courage to be had here. Don't be afraid and, mar- and go and marry her. Now, if he, if he goes along and says yes, I want you to get a picture of what this is going to look like because I think you and I sometimes are very poor at counting the cost of obedience. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, I'll just do it. And we didn't really sit down and count the cost and say, yes, that's what I'm going to do. That's what, my, that's what the, this means. In order to do this, it means I have to be like this or I have to give up this. It's, courage is about counting the cost. So if he does marry, marry her, if he does marry Mary, the shame and guilt society that's around them will say that she got pregnant before they got married because they can do math too, right? They can count. Wait a minute, nine months, minus three. What, hmm. So they, they know there's something going on there. Or they'll know that she was unfaithful. That's the shame and guilt society around them. That's the world looking in. They are going to be shamed. They're going to be socially excluded, and they are going to be rejected. They are going to probably be second-class citizens the rest of their lives. That's tough to handle. It's tough for you and I to make decisions that would put us in an area that would show our shame. But see, what Jesus does is he, he makes us brave. The message of Christmas is not that we have a stellar reputation to keep or to protect, because we don't. It's that we are full of shame and full of guilt, but can, in Christ's power, believe and live faithfully to him. You see, you and I, who are in Christ, who have believed on the Lord Jesus and what he's done on the cross for our sin, that we have let his righteousness be ours, we can now stand tall and walk boldly and shamelessly because he took our shame, because he took our guilt. We don't have to cower and hide and wonder anymore. The message of Christmas is you can walk shamelessly because I took the shame. You can live faithfully and obediently to me because you're shameless and that doesn't hold you 
anymore. We lay, when we lay aside our shame for his salvation, our sin doesn't define us any longer. Being in Christ is what defines us. And, and I want us to think, going back to that self-help idea, you and I have no value except outside of, inside of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are full of shame and full of guilt. And outside of Christ, by the way, our shame and our guilt is what defines us. But in Christ, through what he did on the cross, the message of Christmas is it doesn't have to anymore. The message of Christmas is that Christ came to us so that our shame could be removed and placed on him. Christ came in the flesh. Christ humbled himself in order that we could live. And you and I should be willing to humble ourselves and go to the people who are weak. Go to the people without power and status and beauty, without money, because that is exactly what Jesus did when God emptied himself and came to us. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's the Christmas spirit. Before the service, I met with a couple we were, we were talking about how do we instill these values in our children? How do we, how do we help them understand that Christmas isn't about the JCPenney catalog and circle everything you want? That Christmas is about serving and loving others and giving to others because that's how God has treated us. One of the things we came up with in that time together is we have, we have these Christmas baskets that go out. Right in the bulletin, Ryan talked about this. We, we put names on a list or you submit names that people are, are in need who, who need that, and, and the way we can love them is to buy them a turkey dinner, buy them a Christmas dinner, and deliver it to their homes. I think I, think I want my whole family to be part of that. I want all my kids to be there and say, this is what we do at Christmas. We give to other people. We show love to other people and kindness to other people because that is how God has treated us. I want, I want to put that challenge to you. On December 23rd, it's Friday, we're going to be meeting down here at 2 o'clock. We're going to go shopping at Ray's and get, get Christmas dinners and baskets all put together. We'll come down at the church and assemble them all. And then we're going to put them in our cars and take cards and love and hope and Jesus and a, and a meal to people who are in need. You can be part of that. I think it's a great tradition to start if you, if you haven't been part of that before. Christ came and emptied himself for us. And that is the Christmas spirit. Finally, we can learn from this story that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. This is a proclamation early in the gospel of Jesus' divinity. First of all, the, the, the name Jesus, Joshua or Yeshua, it means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. So the self-existent God Almighty, the God of the entire universe, that there is no other higher name that can be given to God, saves. And this is how he chose to do it is through Jesus Christ. Now, some would say, okay, well, so that's how God is choosing to save us, is he sends Jesus. But let's look at the next passage or next scripture in verse 22. It says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through his prophet. So all of this took place, and they named him Jesus, right? And they named him Jesus because Yahweh saves. And the next part here is not so much a proper name as it is a description or title. Now, it, here's what was said through the prophet. Verse 23, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him or call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Not only did Yahweh, God, decide he wanted to save us from our sins, and he came, he came to us. Not only was it a decision made, he came to us. He is God 
with us. It's a description, a title saying that God humbled himself and, and came down to us. And in spite, here's the deal, here's what it means, in spite of us, in spite of our failings, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our mistakes, God pursued you. God pursued me, in spite of me. See, he, he knew that we could never climb up to his level of holiness and perfection. We could never attain that. We could never reach it. We could never get our names in his book by ourselves. And because we couldn't climb up to him, he came down to us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's the king that we adore. And when he came down to us, he wasn't shrugging off sin and saying it didn't matter. He came to deal with it because only he could. And he came to do what we couldn't do when he died on that cross and when he rose from the dead, conquering it once and for all. Last week we talked about Jesus being a man, being fully man, and, and, and being fully God. Only fully man could, could die on a cross and shed the blood necessary to atone for our sin. But only God could be that man because no man is perfect. And no man could come back three days later conquering Satan's sin and death, rising from, from the grave to give us victory and hope in Jesus. Je Jesus doesn't shrug off sin. He knows it full well. His lineage is, is full of sin and full of shame. But the story of Christmas is dripping in God's mercy that he came to us. And our response to him is humility and faith, that we would trust him, we would obey him, that we would bow before our king and we would adore him. Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father, you are a great and, and gracious God. You're also just, and we, we understand that, God, as we see your stories, we see the story even of your parents, we understand that you had to come to us because we couldn't get to you. God, keep our minds and hearts open this Christmas as we celebrate the coming of Christ. God, as we adore him in our families, in our homes, God, at, at our church services, God, as, as we adore him in our workplaces, God, I pray that you would help us be a beacon of light to a world of darkness, that they would see who it is that we adore. And God, help us to be brave. We, we know who we are. We know that you know who we are, and we know that you came to redeem, to fix, to resolve the issue of sin in our lives. We thank you for that, and we rest in that, that we would walk free and walk shameless because of Jesus taking the shame. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. As we close our service, it's always our opportunity to respond.